1: Well, welcome to Mortification of Spin. It's a great pleasure this week to have somebody that I greatly admire, a Mr. Valiant for Truth, if ever there was one. I count it a privilege to have this person as a friend. Uh, Liam Golliger, pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, formerly pastor of Duke Street Church in London. I once preached at Duke Street, and my lasting memory is that the man doing the sound that day was the former sound manager of possibly the greatest rock band in history, The Who. So I can introduce mm-hmm. Liam today and say he had the same sound manager as Roger, Pete and the boys. Wow. I thought well, you were
2: gonna say the Spice Girls, but yeah. go
1: ahead. <laughs> now, <laughs> Welcome, Liam. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be here. We are. Yeah. We are glad. Really? Yes. Yeah. That's great. Now you're a, uni- <laughs> you're a universally admired and liked man,
2: Liam. What is your What is your secret? <laughs> <laughs> what is your secret? It's my charismatic yeah. personality. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Yeah. We yeah. all want. It's hard to to so um, strictly avoid controversy of any kind. I mean, is that difficult yeah. for yeah. How you, how to, do you to maintain?
0: That?
2: Yeah. It just seems to follow me wherever <laughs> I go. It's when I open my mouth is the problem. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're
1: really glad that you are. Uh, you know, postponed your trip to Louisville, Kentucky, to speak to be with us today. Uh, and what we want to talk about is the qualities of a good sermon and a good preacher. And let's see if there's any way that we can upset people. You know, Liam, I know it's against your nature yeah. to do that, but uh, qualities of a good sermon, good preacher. Let me kick off with with a question that I know opinion is divided over, but it's, it's quite an important question: Are good preachers born, or can you take anybody? and train them to be a good preacher?
3: I swing between those two views in the sense that I think I, I grew up with a, with a view that you had to be called. That there had to be a kind of divine constraint upon you to be a preacher. I first was interested in preaching, not because I heard great preaching. My grandmother used to tell me about people who had come to visit the church that she went to in Glasgow, which was called the tent hall after D.L. Moody's campaigns and there at that church they had all the greats, Barnhouse came over the young Billy Graham when he was only in his 20s and it was really Cliff Barrows and his team and Billy was the preacher all went through that that church and, and my grandmother was a great and godly woman, people would come to see her to, to get wisdom from her, she really influenced me a lot, I loved my grandmother and I started reading theology books that I found around her house so my dad took me to hear Billy Graham once, or not to hear, to see a movie, an old black and white movie, in which Billy Graham was preaching. And Billy was, was, in those young days, he used to march up and down the pulpit and be very demonstrative and so on. And I thought, that's what real preaching is like, you know. So I was 11 and I had had this build up. That, that night was quite def- decisive for me because I really went, I went home that night and I re-preached Billy's sermon to my brother who was in the top bunk. That was the, <laughs> oh, wow. that was the balcony. And I re-preached Billy's sermon. And the next, that was a, a Saturday night, Monday morning or Monday lunchtime, I went to the public library with my parents' tickets and I got the first, there were six tickets, first six books in the theology section. Brought them home and started to read the first one, which began, uh, the author's name began with B, Bart, Evangelical Theology. And I read it through. I was only 11 at the time, and I remember saying to my mother, uh, she asked me how I was getting on with it, and I said, uh, yeah, I think this man has a strange view of the Bible. I couldn't put my finger on what it was, but that, that was an that was impression it me. So that was the beginning, and somewhere between the age of 11 and, and 14, I became Reformed. I didn't know anyone else in the world, anyone who was alive who was Reformed. But I also started to preach or to practice preaching sermons. I would go up to the fields behind our house and start there. And then I got to speak to youth groups and so on and so on. And I remember by the time I was 15, I was preaching around churches. And people would regularly ask me what part of America I came from. Uh, and I said, I'm not from America oh, how come you preach with a North Carolina accent? Well, I was just what? preaching like Billy Graham preached. So I was just saying, the Bible says. That's No, but all, of that to, all of that to say that there, there was no doubt there was a constraint.
4: You couldn't not.
3: I couldn't not do it. Mm-hmm. Really could not do it. And I, and I remember at one point when I was about 17, I was going through the process to be to be recognised as a candidate for the ministry in our Baptist denomination, the Baptist Union of Scotland. I was Baptist in those days, and older people were giving me verses like, you know, "Do not rush to open your mouth in the house of the Lord," and things like really encouraging verses. <laughs> uh, and and uh, and I and I wrestled I wrestled with God in prayer about the whole thing. Was I getting this wrong? Was I in the wrong place, and I remember in my ordinary reading for that day it was Jeremiah chapter one. It was the very things that were in my head you know i'm i'm young and i 'm inexperienced and so forth and and then i I went, I went to college I was at college at that point, and uh, one of my friends asked me around for lunch to his house, and his wife uh, said that she'd been praying for me that day, and she felt she should pass on the, the passage that she was preaching on it was Jeremiah. Chapter one. And then that evening I went to a free church of Scotland thing in Glasgow and, uh, the guy was preaching Jeremiah chapter one. So, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not superstitious or uh-huh. anything like that, but it was, it was a sense of, it confirmed every conviction mm-hmm. that I had, uh, every encouragement that from churches that from an early age were allowing me to speak at their services and, and stuff. So, so I do think that there is an element of you, of a person being made to preach mm-hmm. and that and that being confirmed by a conviction that the person has and that the church has, or confirmed by the church. And for me it was, I can do nothing else. I can do nothing else. Over the years I've been asked to do other things. I can do nothing else. I live, I wake up in the morning to get into the Word of God and to start the Word of God. I think you can help somebody who's called to be better. Yeah, I wish somebody had, but they didn't. So <laughs> I'm just the way way I am. Uh, I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm helping out at Westminster with one of the preaching classes. And w- what I try to say to the guys is I want you to be yourself. I want you to find your own voice. I want right. you to, you know, find your own identity as a preacher. But you've either got it or you haven't got it, mm-hmm. you
2: know. Yeah, so I, yeah, I, I think that there's, well, this is a hard one, Carl and I were talking about this yesterday, can, can you, can a preacher be made or is there a gift and, and I, and I agree, I think we hope obviously any man who finds his way in the pulpit is, is, is called there, has a, has an in, a sense of an internal call and con- confirmed through an external call by the church and if God calls a man and the church confirms that call, hopefully he has certain tools in place that that would at least lend towards a, a good preacher but i think a I think a, a fairly bad preacher can become a good preacher if if he has good instruction i think i mean not in every case but if, if i went back and listened to audio from my first sermons in my first year or so i would be horrified i'm sure um and now i'm just mildly disappointed so see, there's been great Progress.
1: Yeah, well, a lot of your congregants say today, <laughs> we're just
2: mildly disappointed with Todd.
4: Yeah, what if, though, there isn't progress? That's yeah, where, because yeah, mm-hmm. I do think that teaching certainly improves mm-hmm. pastors yeah. and, and experience yeah. too. But what if there
2: isn't? Yeah. Pro-
1: yeah, progress. Pastors should be continually trying to grow. I think yes. in all aspects of their the public ministry. Right.
2: Okay. So, so, so that's a good question. So, so Liam and Carl, um, let's say. Um, there's a, there's a man out there um, who's a pastor, and he's been serving for long enough to, to get a pretty good sense of whether or not he's, he's good at this. And if he were to be really honest, he, he remains very, very frustrated, or can tell his congregation is, is frustrated by his lack of skill at preaching. What would you counsel him to do? First of all, talk to his elders. Yeah. Talk to the man that he trusts
1: to give him honest feedback. Because it may be that there's some fairly obvious things that he's not aware of that could be fairly easily corrected. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. The, in the church that I grew up in, the the minister stood with his notes in his hands, mm-hmm. immobile. He had a monotone voice; yeah. he never inflected at all. And <laughs> I used to think, you know, this is not this is not good. You know, <laughs> we, we can be better than this. I think, however, he I mean he did teach the Bible, mm-hmm. and I think, looking back now from this perspective, I learned a lot from him, yeah, because he did teach the Bible right. and who he was, the character of the man, the godliness of the man, I think earned him the right to yeah. be heard, even though he was boring as it anything really
2: that's so. that's that's a good that's a good point. So there are there, there's more factors that go into well, the effectiveness. Word is, the word of
3: God itself right. is the power.
2: Right, that's the thing. Right,
3: but I think I think somebody should have said to him, you know, you can inflect your yeah. voice. When I was saying to the, these guys that I'm teaching the other the other day. I, I was saying to them, you know, you've got a range there when you're talking, sitting down here talking right. about somebody else. You're all animated and yeah. you're going. Do that when you're in the pool. Right. Yeah.
1: I think of so Second Corinthians five twenty, addressing. Pastors, ministers. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. And then this very strong language: we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul's writing to Christians there, yeah. and he's using the language of imploring. Mm. And I try to press on on students, student preachers, that as soon as they open their mouth in the pulpit on a Sunday, they have to send the signal that what they're about to say is yeah. the most important thing that congregants are going to hear that right.
4: week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Do they mean it? They have to have. I mean, that how term. can you right? You know, there's a difference between teaching a class and or, you know, even uh, me when I speak to an audience and then somebody who's preaching a sermon. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, every, every week I call people to repent of their sin and to believe in Christ. And it's appropriate that there is a pleading that comes out of me when mm-hmm. I do that. It would, be, it would be incongruous if I was communicating that in a really monotone, disaffected way. It's not that important. Way.
0: Yeah.
2: I, I, That's the, the message that the, goes exactly, with it. The, vi- the vital nature that they repent of their sin and turn to Christ Mm -hmm. ought to be reflected in actually how we're saying this. Liam, let me ask you this. Um, So you've worked with young preachers, you're working with young preachers now. Um, What are, what are some of the common mistakes you see that young preachers make or, or maybe um, hindrances to them getting better? What are, what are some of the common things you see? There's a big tendency, I think to, to stick to their manuscript, to write too much
3: than to stick to their manuscript. Yeah. Um, one of the dangers of that is that you're not engaging with the people that you're speaking to. And and it seems to me that the passion, a lot of the passion comes mm. when you realize that you're the one who is responsible for speaking the Word of God mm. into these people's mm. lives. You, you You're the instrument. It's the Word of God. God is speaking into their lives. You're the instrument, and you're addressing them. Right. And that one of the big things I regularly have to say to them is, "Did you know we were here? you know uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> hello, <laughs> yeah. we were here, yeah speak to us right and and I say to them, even though you're speaking to a bunch of your fellow students and and to me in a classroom you I want you to preach this yeah. to us, preach to me, yeah um because that's what I need. I need the word of God." Mm-hmm. To be spoken to me and me, we, we heard about imploring but if you read Hebrews, which is a word of exhortation, the preacher's regularly punching at home and applying it to the people. Right. The exhortations within it are, are there, they're directed personally and I think that's probably the, the, the big problem. Now, I can see the guys who are doing the the manuscript thing have got models in their mind of people who are important to them uh, and they're trying to copy them and and I need to say to them. Get those models out of your head. Mm-hmm,
2: yes. mm-hmm. They're, you know, that's they're not good models. Right. Really.
4: Yeah, you can't do them.
2: So I've got a question for both of you guys. Do you, so? You don't, Liam. You don't use a a manuscript a full in the book. manuscript. No. Okay. No, because I, I want you each to explain. Yeah. What do your, you use? What do you, do you? No,
1: I use an outline. It takes maybe five or six pages of bullet. Point kind of things and I'll occasionally if a good sentence comes to my head a nice right, right, right. concise way of expressing something I might write it down in I full see. but basically I preach from an outline a pretty thorough outline but okay. an
3: outline Okay, I would have more notes than that right. but, but it's for me it's just a pile of stuff that I throw down on the page right. mm. and and I pick out of it what I want right. so mm. the, when I first came to 10th uh, we have two morning services and you're supposed to preach the same thing at both, right. So, when I first came, the elders would sit through both of them, mm-hmm. and then they start complaining to me. You, those were two different sermons <laughs> on the same text. Like you said this at nine o'clock, but you didn't yeah. say it then, and you said this wow. at eleven, and, yeah. and and it's true, yeah, it's true because I am speaking to the people in front of me, right, right. That's
4: what I was going to ask you. You know what's the what's the difference in preaching to a congregation, your congregation um, that you know well, that you pastor, that you shepherd. And does it change does your sermon change then like let's say you were invited to you know be a guest preacher at, at a different church that Sunday or even at a conference asked to give a sermon typically, How does that the way you typically
3: I think my conference sermons are boring because mm. i I really don't do preaching a sermon as a sermon without co- the connection because mm-hmm. <laughs> I think i'm a
2: I think I need the connection with my congregation. Mm-hmm. I think that makes, I mean, that makes me a better preacher because when I'm, and it keeps me honest too, because these people know me a little better. They see me throughout the week. We live in a community where I'm constantly bumping into people and they see me. They know how I drive. You know? I mean, they, they know these things <laughs> about me terrible. and it keeps me honest. And plus then, and both of you know this, when you're standing up and preaching and let's say something in the text takes you to address suffering and grief and you know that this woman just lost a child a week ago and um his father just died and their child just got diagnosed with cancer it shapes everything from your facial expressions to your tone of voice to to the content of the words as you're as you're preaching to those souls
1: yeah i can attest that i think there's sundays when i've got up in the pulpit and you see a particular person there and you know they've had a rough week and you're like i have to be more positive today right i can't hit as hard as i was going to Right. I think that kind of sensitivity Mm -hmm. is is very important. Yep. I have
2: found myself on certain Sundays in, in, when the text is, is clearly a call, for instance, a call to holiness and a call to obedience. Because of some of the people present, I also know that I, that I need to say some assuring Mm. things also about God's keeping power because I know that this person's conscience is really seared, you know, that, but it, it goes to, just the, the, the power of, of, of yeah. knowing your flock and how that helps you as a preacher. Yeah.
1: I remember one time in particular I preached on the angry man in First Timothy. Mm. And somebody came up to me afterwards and said, so-and-so thinks you were getting at him this morning. <laughs> yes. And I said, well… Is he an angry man? And they said, well, I suppose so. I said, well, I was getting at him then, wasn't I? (laughs) And and I had to be honest, you know, to be honest, he he was in my mind. You know, it doesn't just work positively. I need to bring grace. Sometimes it's, wow, I need to bring the law at this point because that person needs to be hit over the head with a hammer.
2: Well, and and what's so funny about that is that this is. So much of Paul's epistles, he's dealing with specific sins, sometimes even naming the individuals, and yet today the expectation of the preacher is that we are to, supposed, to, yeah. supposed to act like we're entirely uh. ignorant of the sins in our congregation. <laughs> he uses
1: sarcasm. He uses satire. Right. He, you know, yeah, exactly. He'd be, like, he'd be getting himself fired. I, I
2: know.
4: Yeah, he'd be getting himself <laughs> fired. That, that's
2: always the risk.
4: <laughs> well, that's one thing is, you know, I read commentaries um, for my own Bible study that I see how we've softened Paul's language so much. Sure, There's so much sa- sarcasm
2: in oh, there. Oh, my goodness. Somebody said, said to
1: me recently, changes you the haven't meaning. gone as far as saying they should go away and castrate themselves, <laughs> you haven't gone as far <laughs> as the Apostle Paul oh, That's, that's <laughs> how I defend myself. I always direct people to read and then you come back and tell me that I've been too harsh. Liam, yet. of course, <laughs> has
2: gone much further than that. <laughs> sure. So, Liam, I've got a question about you, for you about uh, pastoral ministry. Um what would you? How would you describe the role and responsibility of the pastor as also the the theologian of his congregation? And I and I mean theologian with a, with a small t. Not every pastor has a PhD in systematics, but but he should be a competent theologian. Um, riff on that a little bit. Yeah, being a minister of the word of God means
3: being a theologian. Mm-hmm. It is. It seems to me that the greatest, the highest, the noblest, the most exalted thing in, that we're engaged in is bringing God and a sense of God to the people of God. Mm-hmm. And we, we are responsible, I think, to create in the minds of the people to, to, to stimulate their regenerate imagination mm. without transcending the Mm -hmm. bounds of that. There are limits to that and concerns about that. But nonetheless, Mm -hmm. in the Reformers, uh, as well as throughout church history, really, there has been an understanding that the regenerate imagination, the regenerate intelligence of Mm. the believer has to be excited, using that word in its old sense, uh, by the Word of God, informed by the Word of God, lifted up, by the word of God, exalted by the word mm. of God. We need, what our churches need, what I need is for my mind to be enlarged by my contemplation of God. Mm. I read theology for my light reading, right. you know, right. uh, because I, I, I need my mind stretched yes. and my, because my heart gets stretched then. Uh, and, and it's—I have to say—that it's theology, the doctrine of God, with all its entailments, which gets me up off my seat, walking round my room, yes, like a charismatic, mm-hmm. lifting my arms in the air <laughs> and That's praising God. That's a really God. good way of PCA, and Please don't repeat that. I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, just telling you guys. Uh, but but it's 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 one worshiping God. It's it's being enraptured by the greatness of God. You cannot manufacture that. You can't yes. work that up. You can't learn that.
4: Doctrine you, leads to doxology.
3: Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, that says it all, really. Yeah. It's, it's being doxological mm-hmm. in, in the way you think and live and speak. Yeah. So I think, yes, the pastor is the premier theologian mm-hmm. of the church. He, his job is to get
2: people like, into God. So if you're a pastor, a preacher, and you're not regularly reading really excellent um, theology, then you're not you're not doing it right. You're not doing your job. Yeah, you're not doing mm. your yeah. interest.
4: Well, and let's connect that then to the lay people because one thing I really appreciate about good preaching, and and this is something that my pastor does really well, is um, you know in his sermon he's also being pastoral and he is teaching us how to read scripture mm-hmm. and how to interpret scripture, and so like even when he's going into A a rabbit trail, let's say. He'll say, This isn't the main thrust of the Mm -hmm. text, but I really think this is an application that is pertinent for us right now. And let's talk about that. And he'll show, you know, he's teaching us how to find Christ in the scripture. And he's teaching us how to look back and see what the context is. And remember last week when we talked about this, let's connect that together and, and where we're going with this. And, you know, to preach expositionally through a book, you know, he's teaching us how to read scripture too. And I right. think that that is an important element. Like, do you, do you think about that when you're planning your sermons? Um, Definitely. How your congregants are are reading scripture.
3: I think that's part of the task,
2: as you say. Absolutely, totally. Yeah.
1: Pastors to model, also to model how to pray. I mean, There's yes. a whole heap of things. Right. Yeah. The pastor and he's up the front, is is to model as well as proclaim. Yeah. Um,
3: and that, by the way, I think, I think the prayer element of evangelical worship has. Mm. Decline massively, I and mean, when we were being taught how to lead to do a prayer, a yeah. public prayer in church, you begin by by adoring God, adoration for yeah. who He is yeah. in Himself, yeah. and only after dwelling on God, who yeah. God is in Himself, do you then move yeah. mm-hmm. to the economy, if you will, yeah. what God has yeah. done for us, what He is yeah. to us, and then thank you know Thanksgiving yep. intercession. So, yeah, um, I, it seems to me that preaching should follow a similar... Interesting. We should should never get... I think we should never rush too quickly to the economy of what God is to us and in the world before we have put it in its context of who God is in himself. Because it's who God is in himself, ultimately, that is the rock. He is the rock on which I build. He, he, He is all these other things, but first of all, he is the God who is... Incomprehensible that leaves me speechless and silent, and with nothing he is ineffable. I cannot ex- describe him or, or 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 approach him ultimately he he is he is impassable he he's not affected by all the things i 'm affected by, therefore he is the rock on which I build. I need to know that of him before i 'm ready in a sense yeah. to appreciate the fact that in Christ. He has, he has taken on creaturely existence so that he might look me
2: in the, in the eye. I like that because you're basically saying that one of the tasks of the preacher is that as we preach, we want to be sure and give, help to show our people how to revel in who God is. So they don't quickly demand, yeah, but what does this mean for me today? That actually part of the, the good application of the text is first of all, enjoy. And be in awe of who he is. That's part of the application. Mm. I think one of the things we've forgotten is that preaching is a
3: covenantal activity. It's, it's it's set within the covenant people of God. It's this is God's space where God is heard by God's assembled people. So that's a, that's one aspect of it. I think the the other aspect of it is that preaching requires authority. It, it is meant to be an authoritative act. It's, it's not magisterial that the church. apostles and the prophets have a magisterial authority in the church but the preacher has a ministerial mm-hmm. authority in the church under that. And it is the word of God that is being preached. It's God's, God is being heard. So th- there, there is an element of authority that has to come in there. Yeah.
4: That's where it's how, coming from. Yeah.
1: How does this impact styles of preaching, uh, Liam? Because there's been a tendency certainly in certain circles to move towards more conversational approach, perhaps casual, might even be, would be a rather loaded way of describing it. Well, I think Liam but uses a bar stool now there at 10th Press. When he's so. not walking up and down with his
0: microphone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay.
1: uh, do you think that, I mean, obviously every preacher has to find his voice, that, you know, you were preaching in a North Carolina accent, you, you know, that's not you, that's Billy Graham. Every preacher has to find his voice, and every preacher, to some extent, has to find his style. But are there limits to that?
3: I've been preaching for a long, long, long time. Styles have come and gone. When I, I remember one church that I went to, you know, I got greatly criticised because I did not wear the minister's collar, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've I've gone through the whole system, preached at universities and colleges and big events where, you know, the band had played, and then you got the microphone and you <laughs> were to stand there in your jeans and t-shirt and preach and, or teach and preach and so forth. And I know that reality is in that kind of context. Getting authority is really—I mean, it's really—you know, you, its just not. You're just not set just up like, there, just like us, <laughs> right? You know, it's all about—you know—it's more flattened down to this level. You know, share. You're sharing, you know, with, with the people, and—and and, you know that has its place. Mm-hmm. I, th- well, it must have its place. Mm-hmm. People love it, and so yeah. on. It's a style that we're, we're used to. I—I I think I've done that so much that I know that that is not me. Mm-hmm. It's not me. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I'll say about being at tenth is that it has given me the opportunity of being myself. Yeah. In a way that I have not been able to be anywhere else mm. Mm. for for a long, long, long time. And and I think that that's because uh, I th- I think we we're trying people are trying to understand that when we come together as God's assembled people, God is there. Yeah. And God is going to address his people. Mm-hmm. which is
4: How difficult, and this is kind of for all three of you, I'm, you know, we've jokingly referred to you as, as Jack Bauer before, but um, how difficult is it as a pastor having that authority in, in the sermon and having, you know, rebuke that you're going to have to preach on that day mm-hmm. and and knowing that, you know, there's some people in your congregation that have tender conscience, um, knowing that there's some in your congregation who really actually need to be hit hard with it um, how hard is it, and you know what? What's it, the heaviness like on your heart there too? And and, and then how do you execute that um, when you have hard truth mm-hmm. and and rebuke?
3: I think authority works two ways. It works one way in the the hard knocks that you have to give, mm-hmm. but it also works in that you have the authority to the word of promise and comfort mm-hmm. yeah. that you apply to the to the soul mm-hmm. and. I think part, probably, it's. I think the secret is not ever allowing yourself to get so far away from people mm-hmm. and their experience and their life, so that you're you feel you're you're just the scholar who moves from the study into the pulpit and back into his study and never touches real life. I think what helps there is having family that keep you mm-hmm. humble and all your <laughs> and giving
2: you down and to friends, too, yeah, yeah. And, and good friends who who will challenge you. Elders. Yeah. yeah. I There's clearly times when a pastor needs to address sin in the congregation. I think unless there's an extraordinary circumstance where there's, where there needs to be public church discipline and, and an individual is identified in a proper way, uh, that typically you don't want to humiliate someone and call them out. But, but, but I, I would rather have a preacher say, look, um, we have this, Sin in the camp, or we as a congregation, at least in some areas, we're struggling with this sin and, and we need to call that rather than, than him get up there and just be mad the whole time. And you're not sure what he's mad about. Come right out and say, we're struggling church. We're struggling with this sin. We need to identify it. We need to repent of this. And, and every once in a while, you have to do that. But I love what you just said also, Liam, about how that, that authority as a minister of the word is just as applicable when you're applying. The balm of the gospel as well. That That is an authority. That is a, 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 you know, again, the authority comes from the word, mm. but we're ministers of that word. Um, that's an authoritative. You did you like say that. bam, not bomb. Bomb. <laughs> bomb.
3: bomb.
1: I bomb.
2: can't get
3: that. <laughs> <laughs> we just say bam.
0: <laughs>
1: Some of that, I think, as well comes from having a good theology of preaching. Mm-hmm. We need to know what it is that we're doing. And when you right. proclaim uh, the Second Helvetic Confession, you know, we believe that when the word of God is preached by those properly called to the task, it is the very Mm. word of God. The language is very strong there. And I think that preachers need to realize they're not explaining the Bible. Right. Hopefully they are explaining the Bible, but as part of a greater task, and the greater task is proclaiming the word, speaking to the people God's words, so that the people are confronted by God and transformed by God. Mm -hmm. Yes.
4: And it's not something you have to apologize for when you're exactly. behind the pulpit.
2: Exactly. And, and and congregations need to be taught that. Congregations need to be taught. Listen, this is what is happening when we preach here. Mm-hmm. God is addressing his people. And go I'm not just explaining the meaning of something here. That's a part of it. But God is addressing us mm-hmm. through his word. Well, it's been great having our friend uh, Liam Gallagher on with us. Liam, thanks for spending some time with us. We know it was probably painful for you just to be <laughs> In the same room with Carl, but... Well, as an Englishman, what can I say? But I love him anyway. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. It's a very gracious man. Right. It's
2: a gracious man. Yeah. But uh, we're, uh, we're glad that our, our friend Liam was with us to talk about preaching and pastoral ministry. Um, by the time you're going to hear this, it's going to be the, the, the Christmas season, and I know that you're wondering about end-of-year giving. We're a listener-supported uh, podcast, and uh, we'd love for you to visit our website, mortificationofspin.org. And if you feel so led, make a contribution so that we can continue doing what we're doing. Also, for those of you that come to our website, uh, you'll see that we are giving away copies of uh, Pastor Gallagher's book, Joseph, The Hidden Hand of God. It's a wonderful exposition of the life and times of of Joseph. We think you'll find it uh, to be a wonderful uh, devotional read and and help in understanding those texts of Scripture. Uh, It is published by Christian Focus Publishing, and uh, we have made that uh, available for you. Uh, if you'll come and register the on our website and, I said, and <laughs> I'm
5: thanks for listening and,
2: and thanks different. for listening <laughs> for not having anything better to do <laughs> but to listen
5: to us we have the great church the body of Christ but it has its local branches all over and one may be called Lutheran one may be Baptist one may be Presbyterian Whatever the name may be, if it's a place where Christ is preached, if it's a place where Christ is exalted, we are to go there and give it everything we have in the work of the church. The church is to worship together. It's a place where we give our tithes and offerings to the work of the Lord. Oh, there are some people that say, well, I'm looking for a perfect church. Then you'll never find it. Because if you joined it, if you found the perfect church and you joined it, it would be imperfect. You'll never find a perfect church. I've traveled all over the world and I've seen hundreds of different types of churches and I've never seen a perfect one yet. Thanks for listening
0: to Mortification of Spin, the podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about Did God intervene at the beginning of
2: November to make Donald Trump president? It just helps illustrate how much bad theology was going on throughout this entire um, electoral season on on both sides
4: there's definite issues that the church may have to address with just hurting people from this election some of the things that trump has said about women yep um particularly there there's a lot of devastated women
1: trump doesn't care one way or the other about religious freedom <laughs> Hillary Clinton, even in her concession speech, makes some reference to
0: freedom of worship. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. Oh, my word.
2: That was even better. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, just want you all to know that the Alliance pays Carl and myself more than we pay Amy because she's a woman. Yeah.
4: Yes, I get 20% less. And we're better.
2: We're better. I <laughs> don't <So. laughs>
1: She has, the, she has the Well she has the bonus Of working with us what, We have to exactly? work with her you know? yeah, Listen
2: She's on her third um, book With PNR Publishing And the yeah. royalties alone Must be staggering uh, yeah, I mean, She's written uh, the same book the Three money. times It's fantastic <laughs>
4: Just remember where you guys were without me. I know.
1: Yeah. I know. Balding oh. and bitter. We, we, had- we call it the, gold, the golden age. That's what we like think about. Yeah. We had
2: about 30 listeners yeah. and they
1: were all old men. So, exactly. Yeah. We're now in that phase. The Don't forget.
4: Never forget.
1: burnished iron or
4: something.